0: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Remote Real Estate Investor. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about how do we spend our time as remote real estate investors? How and where do we spend our time? What are some of our likes? What are some of our dislikes? We're going to be covering that in Rose and Thorn. We're going to be taking a deep dive into one of the coaches' portfolios under Making Moves. And we're also going to be covering how to balance a full time job with real estate investing and how to do that when you're first getting started. I'm Michael Album, and I'm joined today by
1: Emil Shore and Tom Schneider.
0: Just to jump right into it, Tom, I'd be curious to know, you know, where do you see yourself spending the most amount of time and and how are you maximizing the efficiency of your time?
1: So where I'm spending the most amount of time, it kind of depends on like if I'm in a buy cycle uh, or if I'm in a selling cycle. So like so much of my time that I spend, I have a full time job. So, you know, it's it's kind of the after hours burning the midnight oil where I'm spending a lot of my time. It depends like I said, where I am in my cycle. If I'm buying right, I'm spending extra time evaluating properties and maybe submitting an offers and talking to local property managers. If I'm in a new sort of you know, investigating new strategy time, it's it's getting educated on that. The self-directed IRA is an example. So Right now, I'd say I'm a little bit busier just because I am in an acquisition cycle. And, you know, to, to put a specific number to it, I'm probably I'm probably spending, I don't know, maybe 10 to 20 hours within the month or to, you know, doing a little bit of extra work and, and doing that acquisition cycle outside of the standard work, which is pretty minimal of checking in with the property manager on how the existing portfolio is doing.
0: Sure. Just kind of the day to day type stuff.
1: Yeah. Now, I know you have a much more diverse portfolio, Michael Albaum. So tell me about, you know, your where where do you spend your time?
0: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like you when I when I was first started investing at a full-time job nine to five, but I was super lucky in that I was working from it was a work from home job pretty much half the week. So I was spending most of my time, you know, on education and and kind of like you learning new markets and uh, you know, meeting different people and and in the acquisition side of things, getting as many deals done as I could. Now that I've kind of expired that growth phase, if you will, I'm, I'm now turning a bunch of properties and repositioning things. So the vast majority of my time is, is contractor management and project management. And it's funny, I left my, my nine to five back in August and I thought, wow, I'm gonna have so much free time. And right then all the projects really started to ramp up. So I pretty much came into another full-time job just in managing all those rehabs and all those projects between the bureaucratic red tape and applying for permits and incentives and, and these kind of things. So it's just been a total whirlwind. And to put a number to it, I mean, I'm probably spending a good 40 hours a week Thirty to forty hours a week, just kind of managing things and making sure things go right. Because you know I've got a property manager who kind of doubles as a project manager, but I, at the end of the day, the buck stops with me. And he's still got properties to manage and and properties to sell. So I've uh, you know really full time property manager or excuse me project manager for for all my stuff. So it's been uh, it's been a whirlwind. But I'll, you know we'll cover that on, on a different segment. But Emil, what do you what do you about for you? What's been, you know, the, Where do you spend the most of your, amount of your
2: time? My my day-to-day management, right? Because I have third-party property management, I'm not spending a lot of time per month dealing with any tenant-related issues or repairs. You know, most things, the way property management's set up, if you're under a threshold, let's say 500 or 250, whatever your agreement says, they're going to handle all those things for you. They're not even going to email you. They just handle them for the tenant. So operations,
1: not, not to exceed costs where there's maintenance stuff coming in.
2: Exactly. So right. if, it's, if yeah. it's the maintenance or the, the work order is less than 250, they'll just go ahead and take care of it. And you'll see it on your statement at the end of the month, but they're not going to reach out and say, Hey, do you approve this specific thing? Right. And that's how I want it. If you, if you want it differently, you can always change it with the property manager. I'd rather they, they handle more of that. So I'm spending less time on those more mundane things. But like you, Tom, it's for me, a lot of my time is spent in ongoing education and I'm I'm also in that acquisition phase. So I'm spending a lot of time researching the market, researching properties, analyzing deals. So it's it's funny. I think a lot of people, when they want to get into real estate, they're like, oh man, it's going to be so much time managing a property. And it's funny. I don't think, you know, especially as a remote real estate investor where you're leaning on the property manager, I don't think you're going to spend as much time as you think on the actual operation and day-to-day stuff of a property. A lot of the time, it's just you know, either growth, like you guys were talking about, or in, in Michael's case, where he has a lot of uh, construction projects underway, that's when you're spending a little bit more time. So for me, it's, I'm like you, Tom, where I'm spending more time on acquisition and learning more so than actively managing my properties.
1: Yeah. On that, talking about with your partners and property managers, where you're leveraging them to spend a lot of their time and you know, making sure your property are occupied and, and safe and all of that is my investment of time. It's worth really, up front with that partner kind of going spending extra time in 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 let making sure that they know my philosophy and they know what kind of properties I'm looking for and there's an exercise I don't know if any of you guys have ever done this where you describe how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and when you first do the exercise you're like oh yeah you just put you know bread and jam and you're, you're done and Somebody like follows this exercise and does it completely wrong. And I think working with property managers is the same way in that you need to be extremely detailed on what your expectations are. And, you know, a good example of that is if they send you some maintenance thing happens, let's say there's a a fence has like a crack or something and they kind of drill them into saying, okay, can this be repaired or does it need to be replaced? Okay, can we get multiple bids? Okay, can we blah, blah, blah. And the more time that you do upfront in kind of setting expectations on what you're looking for with that property manager, the better they're going to be at being able to be a leverage point for your time to be able to manage the work.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's something that in the beginning, you're not going to be as comfortable with. Every order that comes in, you're going to question it and be like, well, should this have been done this way or... I just remember in the beginning, kind of questioning everything and spending a lot more time on a lot of those work orders and everything. And then, yeah, like you said, Tom, you kind of just develop systems to like, okay, bits uh, an order comes in, they're looking for your approval. Can you guys get multiple bids? And you kind of just learn the processes and systems you want. And it's just repeating every time things like that happen. Yeah.
0: Amelia, you touch on something that I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper on. In that, you know, I think so many people when they first start investing or they're first thinking about investing, you know, they think it's going to be a huge time commitment and I've got to be so involved. You know, turning back the clock to when you first started investing, where were you spending your time?
2: Yeah, so I was listening to tons of podcasts, reading a bunch. You know, I think everyone everyone goes through the. Should I get an LLC or should I take in my own name? Like all, all, I think everyone kind of goes through a similar education process. And then it was just a matter of, you know, I'd finish work. Once I, was, once I had funds ready and I was like, okay, I'm doing this. It was just a matter of every single night spending hours after dinner. You know, I'm up till midnight or one looking for properties, analyzing deals. So that was how it played out for me. And Tom, you know, where, where did you spend your early days? What were you
0: doing?
1: Yeah. You know, I was, I was lucky in that my, my day job working at, for this, this REIT that was buying, fixing up and selling single family homes. It was sort of just embedded education in, in, in making and learning on other people's money. So (laughs) the best way to do it. Exactly. The best way to do it. So, you know, a lot of the time I'd say early on investing was exactly evaluating deals and, and talking to people in the market, talking to local property managers and kind of on that asking questions and talking easily. It's easy for your ego to kind of get in the way and be like, Oh, am I going to sound like an idiot? Or, Oh, this person's going to think I'm, I'm dumb and don't know what I'm doing. And the thing is, though, the secret is, who cares? You, you know what I'm saying? Asking why and asking the dumb questions is just a way for you to, to better get in the weeds. And as soon as you drop your ego around that, of being like, oh, what is this person going to think of me? That That's really when you expedite the way that you learn and the way that you can manage these vendors and digging deep. That's a great point. Yeah.
0: Did you ever have anyone tell you that's a stupid question or, oh, you're so stupid for
1: not knowing that? Outside of the voices in my head, no. Nobody in the real world has <laughs> I think think that's so
0: important to touch on too, because so many people have that exact same fear and it's, you know, it it happens from the classroom of not wanting to look silly, but I think everyone has to go through those same growing pains and nine times out of 10, everyone has that same question too. So you asking it, I think only benefits the masses if you're in a group setting and benefits yourself definitely if it's in a one-on-one setting.
1: So in this segment called smooth scaling, we're going to be talking about ways how to leverage your time, which is the topic of this episode to scale. So a way that I like to scale with my time is being organized upfront. So if you're doing a lot of maneuvers in real estate, like taking out loans and getting insurance and all that kind of stuff, if you are organized upfront with the documents that you have, be it your closing statements, be it your mortgage statements, be it, you know, your contact list is if you organize that information upfront once and, and do it well, you're going to save a ton of time in that every time you're taking out a loan or, or doing anything, it's going to be easy for you to access. You're not like starting from zero. So my tip on smooth scaling is to get organized with your documents. And in Academy, we have a, a bunch of cool templates for doing that, but that would be my smooth scaling tip. Emil, you want to jump in?
2: Yeah, for me, one of the the biggest things I've been doing to help myself scale better with time is being really, really diligent about what I put in my calendar. So I have this monthly recurring calendar invite I set for myself. I think it's the first Sunday of every month or the second Sunday of every month for one hour where I, it's called business review. And I, that's the time I use to review all the work orders, review all my monthly summaries from my Properties, but instead of like reviewing them one off at a time, I want to take, I'm setting an hour aside. I'm going to review everything together, make decisions. So I have this monthly business review that's been really helpful to keep me on top of a lot of the inputs I'm getting from my property managers. And then, same thing for right now, I'm in the process of trying to raise money for the next purchase I want to buy. So, one thing I'm doing is every night putting half an hour or an hour on my calendar after dinner to knock that thing out. So just being really diligent about my time and making sure each day I'm moving the ball forward,
1: that's been really helpful for me. I love that, scheduling on your calendar for yourself. That's
0: such a great tip, I think, for everyone listening, is that if you schedule something on your calendar, it's so much more likely that it gets done as opposed to making a to-do list. Totally. You know, you have an alarm telling you, yes, hey, ring, ding, ding, it's time to do it, do it now. Exactly. Versus
2: just seeing it on on a checklist. I think it's very different mentally. Yeah, and it, I'll be honest. Sometimes I schedule something and things come up and it's okay. That's that's part of life. And so it's really easy. I just move it to the next day and make sure that thing gets done the next day. That's great. How about you, Michael? So
0: for me, I mean, it's a little bit frustrating because Tom totally stole my answer, but I'll go <laughs> on another one. <laughs> that's it. why I want to
1: go first. <laughs>
0: That's why you always want to go first. That's right. (laughs) Lesson learned. For me, I think uh, you already touched on it a little bit, Tom, but setting up systems with your personnel, with the people on your team. So with uh, insurance carriers and agents and with my property management and my uh, agents, I am very, very diligent and spend a lot of time sitting down with them talking about exactly what it is I'm looking for. And what it is that my goals are, so that way when they're looking for properties that kind of fit into that category, it's a very quick and easy process of, hey, this is a property I found. Do you like it? They've already been briefed on what my goals are, what my criteria is. It's a high, with a high degree of likelihood that that is a property I would be interested in in purchasing, and so uh, it makes the 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 whole owning and operating process so much smoother by putting in that time investment on the front end because it turns every property acquisition into almost cookie cutter style of we're just kind of stamping them out as as fast as we can and also like you said Tom having your documents you know easily accessible and all in one place i've got a um, like a mortgage folder that i'll send to any any lender that i'm looking to get a mortgage from because 95% of the material is going to be identical from lender to lender So I just have that in a file ready to go that I can send them. And it makes the whole process so much smoother
2: and so much more efficient. I have a mortgage folder as well. Good to know I'm not the only one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you're not a crazy person.
0: So in this segment called Making Moves, I'm going to be talking about kind of what's going on in my portfolio, what I'm working on right now, what's taking up the vast majority of my time. So right now, well, for the last uh, quite some time, I've been working actually on a a development project on a building. It was a a mixed-use commercial building that had some commercial and some residential. And what I'm doing is converting the commercial space into residential space. And it has been a learning experience and a half, I've got to admit. It's, uh, it's managing contractors, managing bureaucracy and kind of local government. There's some, there's some local government incentives that as a result of, of doing that conversion and making more affordable housing available by converting you know, old, old commercial space. So navigating through that program has been quite the learning curve, and I, it's obviously a lot more complicated than I had anticipated when I first went into the project. But I also had a, a two fires in that building in the mi- middle of construction, and so I'm, I'm fighting an insurance battle as well. So it's, you know, every day is something new, but it's, it's eating up the vast majority of my time, but I do still think it's the right thing to do, and it'll be great once it's done. I've just got to get this thing
1: to the finish line real quick though. So on that project, man, you're touching a lot of different stuff. Yes. In in such a complex project, what is something that's unexpected that you've gone through and liked and something unexpected that you, you didn't like?
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, the list of unexpected things I didn't like is a whole lot longer, so I can just start there. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. So as part of this this incentive program, there's monies awarded as a grant to developers, investors to convert commercial space into residential. So I said, great. Do you have boots on the f-
1: do you have boots on the floor, like helping you no. with that, like so entitlement it's stuff? so a program
0: that was introduced to me by the agent who, who sold me the property, who's my property manager uh, across the county. So he's actually not the property manager on this property, but he introduced it to me and he kind of put me in touch with the right people. And so navigating that process was a behemoth in and of itself. So that, that was all me um just kind of learning figuring it out muddling through i mean the folks at the at the local office have been really helpful and kind of holding my hand a little bit but as far as doing it you know for me no it's it's been all me so the, i think that the biggest surprise that i have had throughout this project was i was planning on converting it's a three story building and i was planning on converting only originally the top floor was going to make it into separate units. And then I decided to make the middle commercial floor into units as well. So I said, great, this qualifies for the program. I'll be getting some monies as a grant. And then the city steps in and says, oh, by the way, if you change use from commercial to residential, you need to put in a sprinkler system. And I said, what? (laughs) So they said, yeah, you got to put in a fire protection sprinkler system. And I have a background as a fire protection engineer in California, and that kind of flew right by me. So that's that's been really unfortunate, but it's one of those things that it's going to reduce my insurance premiums. And I think at the end of the day, especially because I have experienced fires, it'll be, it'll be a good thing to have. Uh, but kind of in that same vein, I then decided to convert the bottom commercial space into units as well. And the city again steps in and says, oh, well, if you're going to do that, you have to put an elevator in the building. And so it's just one thing after another that you know, unless you're a code official, there's no way to know this type of stuff. You know, I would never think to ask the question, "Oh, hey, if we do this, do I have to put an elevator in the building?" That's just not something that you know that, that ever comes to mind. So I think sitting down, you know, if, if I were to do it all over again, sitting down with the architect I have on, on my team, and just saying, "Okay, what code violations? What what is this going to trigger with these changes?" Because, I mean, some of it caught him by surprise as well. So I think, you know, going above and beyond that, having a meeting with the city plan reviewer and just sitting down at the genesis of the of the uh, project and say, hey, this is what we're thinking. Anything you can think of that's going to be a, a hurdle to jump through. One thing that I has been a, a positive outcome is I think the uh, the rentability of these units i think is is going to be going through the roof i think there's a lot of transitions that are kind of going on in this neighborhood and this is actually one of the only reasons i i pegged this this building as a potential because it's right in the path of progress so throughout this whole construction and and project process the city around me even you know the streets around me have really been changing for the better so that's just been super super awesome to see and i'm hoping that the fact that this project has been delayed by, by a significant amount due to the uh, insurance claim that I've been working on, that's actually going to position me in a really great time to start renting these units and take advantage of some of the changes that have been kind of going on around me.
2: So would you say even with all these delays and unexpected issues, rewind the clock, do you still think this deal would be worth it? And is it worth it still? Yeah. Ask me in eight months. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, going through the the thick of it on a day-to-day
0: basis is often a grind. And, you know, so often it's, I have no idea what's around the corner and that's just due to lack of experience. You know, it's, it's my first develop my first true development project. So, you know, I do still think it's going to be worth it in the end, but I'll definitely have a few more gray hairs as a result of it.
1: Man, think of the think of the muscles you're building and going through this. I'm I'm so excited to continue to pick your brain on this on this project. Super interesting, mixed used all stuff that I'm like really interested in getting getting into. So I'm uh, thank you for for being the the test dummy on this uh, on this podcast group.
2: <laughs> totally, I'm ha- happy to share. Happy to share. All right, guys, I think this is probably a good spot for us to wrap this episode up. But wanted to ask you, our dear listener. For a quick favor before you leave, so because this is a brand new podcast, we're really trying to spread the word, really trying to get as many people listening in as possible. So if you leave us a review or tell your friends on social, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever, just mention us, tell them you love the show, tell them what you like about it, leave us a review. If you take a screenshot and email it over to me, I'm going to hook you guys up with a free 15-minute coaching call With one of our Roofstock Academy coaches. So you'll be able to talk to them about whatever you want, whatever real estate investing questions you have. We'll get those answered. So all you have to do, again, leave us a review or give us a shout out on social. Tell your friends to listen to the Remote Real Estate Investor by Roofstock. Take a screenshot and email it to me. My email is eshour, E-S-H-O-U-R at roofstock.com. And I'll make sure we get you hooked up with that free coaching call. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you in the next one.